1: Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to talk with you about freedom. I think this is a really, really important issue, and it's something that Democrats have kind of missed the boat on. We haven't been talking, Democrats by and large have not been talking about freedom in the frame that traditionally progressive democrats like franklin roosevelt and lyndon johnson and even progressive republicans like teddy roosevelt talked about freedom teddy roosevelt back in 1912 proposed what he called the square deal that would include health insurance for everybody in the country that was paid for by the government that would guarantee that everybody had the right to what he called a remunerative job (laughs) you know a job that paid enough that you could get a decent, you know, you could have a decent life, that guaranteed everybody in America could take at least a week or two of vacation every year, that guaranteed education to everybody in America, including college education. This was the Republican president from 1901 to 1908, or 1909, March of 1909. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt proposed that, and he said that these things would guarantee the freedom Of Americans. A generation later his third cousin Franklin Roosevelt came into office and said essentially the same thing. It was in the 1940s he gave a speech in which in which he presented what he called his second Bill of Rights. He pointed out that the first Bill of Rights guaranteed freedom from government interference. That was his phrase actually. It limited the government from stopping our right to free speech or stopping our right to freedom of religion or freedom from religion. It limited the government from snooping on us with the Fourth Amendment. It limited the government from unfair prosecutions with the Fifth through the Eighth Amendment. It limited the federal government from interfering in the states at certain levels with the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. And he said, you know, that was all well and good. You know, we had just fought a war against, against a monarchy, against a kingdom, for the right to establish our own government, but we did not want our government to have the kinds of power that the British government had had over its people. So we built all these protections against government into the Constitution. And he said that was all well and good, but now here we are, you know, a hundred and some odd years later with a new generation, and now we're confronted by a new set of royalists That was the word that Franklin Roosevelt used. He called them economic royalists. And he said these economic royalists are, you know, wrapping themselves in the flag. He said they say that they're pursuing freedom, but in fact what they're pursuing is essentially tyranny. So I want to do a deep dive on this, you know, over the next 10 or 15 minutes and and get your thoughts on what does freedom mean to you? What does that word mean to you? And how do we recalibrate this conversation in America about what freedom means? The Republicans have been arguing that freedom means you don't have to wear a mask. Freedom means that your employer can pay you $7.25 an hour and fire you at will. Freedom means, according to conservatives, that your hospital is free to give you a surprise bill of 50,000 bucks if you show up in the ER with COVID. Freedom according to conservatives means that you can go $100,000 in debt going to college. Freedom according to conservatives means that you've got potholes in your highways because you're not paying much taxes. Or the rich people in your state are paying, like Donald Trump, no taxes. What was it, $700 one year? So what does freedom mean to you? Back to Franklin Roosevelt, FDR said, that you have to have, in order to have freedom, there has to be a foundation on which free men and women can stand. Others have referred to that as the soil in which freedom can be rooted, or in which the free enterprise system can be rooted. I wrote about this over at TomHartman.Medium.com, and I think it's the biggest meme that the Democratic Party has missed so far. And I want to encourage elected Democrats to start talking about freedom. So Franklin Roosevelt said basically, if your kids are hungry, which is the case with one in seven American families today, one in six families who rent, their children are going to bed hungry because they can't afford food. If your children are going to bed hungry, Franklin Roosevelt said, you are not free if you want to improve your lot in life with a good education going to a trade school or a college and you can't afford to do it you are not free if you get in a car accident and you're injured and you can't afford to pay your hospital bill or you get sick and you can't afford to or you think you might be sick you go oh, there's a lump here or, I feel a pain there but you're afraid to go in because you can't afford it because you know you can get wiped out because America's the home The home of medical debt and bankruptcy. We are the literally the only developed country in the world where half of all bankruptcies are because somebody got sick in the family. Half. Half a million a year. Six hundred thousand a year people go bankrupt because somebody got sick. That does not happen in Canada. It does not happen in England, it doesn't happen in France, it doesn't happen in Germany, it doesn't happen in Italy, it doesn't happen in Greece, it doesn't happen in Norway, it doesn't happen in Sweden, it doesn't happen in Finland, it doesn't happen in Estonia now, for God's sake, former Soviet Republic, it doesn't happen in Latvia or Lithuania, it doesn't happen in any other developed nation in the world except here. And Franklin Roosevelt said, that's the opposite of freedom. You're not free if you don't have a job because COVID ran through your country and people like Joe Manchin are are lobbying literally Joe Manchin is lobbying the White House lobbying the Democrats to cut that $1400 benefit back. It's too generous. The former Democratic governor became a Republican, Jim Justice, this wealthy man who's the, the governor of West Virginia, came out yesterday and said, "Basically, I don't know what the hell Joe Manchin is talking about." but he better get his damn act together. Because if if you're broke, because your job is gone or even on hold for six months or a year because of COVID, and you can't afford to feed your family, you're not free. Freedom is standing on a foundation. A foundation made of education, healthcare, and economic security which includes housing. These things, Franklin Roosevelt said, should be rights, not privileges. So what is freedom and how do we reframe it? It's the billionaires and the right-wingers. Freedom means you can bring a gun into the Capitol building. Freedom means I don't have to wear a damn mask if I'm gonna cough on you. Is that freedom? Really? We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Let's talk about freedom. I'll I'll be picking up your calls on this. Stick around. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag your it. David in San Francisco. Hey, David, what's on your mind today?
2: Oh, hi, uh, Tom. Uh, this economic royalists issue, I come from a family, uh, John Hart of New Jersey signed the Declaration of Independence, and he was some great, 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 great grandpa of mine. And we were always raised to understand that the monarchists have always been pricking America into doing the wrong thing. You know, whether it was the War of 1812 or dividing the country in the Civil War or tricking America into protecting monarchists in World War I or the royalists uh, in league with Hitler in World War II in order to put the monarchy back into Germany, that these you know, economic trickeries have been uh, foisted on America for centuries. And that if we continue to listen to bad ideas, uh, we're going to be, you know, subject to uh, ruining our republic. And I, I suppose you're probably familiar with the economics of food stamps, where uh, one dollar of a food stamp that comes into your county turns into $1.85. And so when you hear these republicans... Because, because it circulates
1: through the local economy.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right, whereas a dollar
1: spent at Walmart on junk made in China becomes less than a dollar because it immediately goes to China. But anyhow, back to you, David, yes. Right,
2: yeah. And and it it leaves the county as soon as it comes into the, uh, as soon as it goes into Walmart's register, it it goes to the corporate headquarters, which is basically the same mercantilism of 1776. But the the idea that the stimulus money... For the Republicans to be cheap about putting stimulus money back into each county, they're basically starving the country. And, you know, if you put $600 in instead of 300 it's going to basically double. And to be stingy about it means that you're starving these counties. So these Republicans actually don 't even know basic conservative economics, much less that you know if a if a corporation takes a piece of plastic and turns it into a product that they can turn into you know four cents worth of plastic can turn into a two dollar item, how come the taxpayer can't put the same amount of effort into multiplying? the value of something into each local county. So they pretend that stimulus money is actually a drain when it's an opportunity of growth. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And that's how it works. And frankly, if we made, instead of making 80% of what we consume in the United States and China and other overseas countries, if we made the majority of what we purchase here in the United States, it would have a much more massive stimulus effect. I mean, the pre-Reagan stimulus effect was so huge and so rapid, and now it's, it's a little more diffuse. But you're absolutely right. With food stamps, it's instantaneous. And, again, something that the average American has no understanding of because most people don't understand how economics works, much less politics. David, excellent points all. Thank you for calling and making those points. You said it very, very well. I'll be back in just one minute with more of your calls and thoughts and mine on what does freedom mean here. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, my new book is out. The Hidden History of American Oligarchy, Reclaiming Our Democracy from the Ruling Class. In this book, I trace the history of the struggle against oligarchy from America's founding to the United States' war with the feudal Confederacy to President Franklin Roosevelt's struggle against economic royalists who wanted to block the New Deal. In each of those cases, the oligarchs lost the battle. But with increasing right-wing control, we're at a crisis point. Wanna know more? You can sign up for three virtual book events, Powell's Virtual Event in Conversation with David Corden at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. The Seattle Town Hall Virtual Event is Thursday, February 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. And the Books and Books Virtual Event in Conversation with David Corden is Tuesday, February 9th at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Come support your local bookstores and hear about my new book on oligarchy. The links are all over at (laughs) TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman here with you. You know, this freedom that billionaires in the Republican Party are selling us is just, this is crazy. You know, this week, day before yesterday, they were doing a, a vaccination thing at Dodger Stadium. And the headline I saw in the paper was anti vaxers shut down vaccine program, right? But when you read into the story, you discover that the guys who organized this, they called it the, quote, anti-lockdown freedom rally and march. And they said, we're not going to stop until we get our freedoms back. People who are opposing vaccinations of COVID because, uh, what, Trump says it's a hoax? I mean, the guys who occupied the Michigan Capitol with assault weapons because they said Governor Whitmer's attempts to stop COVID from killing people in Michigan was an assault on their freedom. This is destroying our country. I mean, it's just guttiness. And don't forget, Ronald Reagan, in in 1960, what, 65, 66, 67, I think it was, when LBJ was trying to pass Medicare, Ronald Reagan said, and I quote, If Medicare passes into law, the consequences will be dire beyond imagining. One of these days, you and I are going to spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in America before Medicare when men were free right what does freedom mean to you lawrence in st paul minnesota hey lawrence what does freedom mean to you
3: hey well it's really not what it means to me is overall what does it mean in america as we are today and let me Mm -hmm. just say is freedom has two different aspects the way the Republican, and like you just stated before, the billionaires, the way they think about it, and the way Democrats think about it, the way the Republicans or or those guys think about it is rooted in manifest destiny. That is, it's rooted in the ideology that this country was made at the behest for white people and that's the problem if you look all the other things that you just that you enunciated earlier it's all rooted in manifest destiny that ideology i can bring a gun in here because this is my country i can storm the capital and i don't expect the cops to do anything because after all this country is built for white people that is their freedom now here's here's on the converse side of that. Here is the Democratic problem, and this is where the Democrats are kind of losing the narrative. The Democrats' freedom means that I'm going to give you everything, and I'm not going to require you to give anything in return. Let's remember what JFK said. Ask not what the country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. That ideology is being diffused by the current Democrat Party. They think that they can... Just Lawrence, there's no such thing
1: as a Democrat Party. You know, oh, Joe sorry. McCarthy yeah, was propagating that back in the 50s. He said, don't ever call it the Democratic Party, which is its real name. It sounds too nice. Call it the Democrat Party. And by the way, Democrats are not saying that Americans don't have obligations, social obligations. Uh, Democrats aren't saying Americans shouldn't be voting and participating in politics Democrats aren't saying that Americans shouldn't hold up their responsibility as citizens of America in fact I'd say the opposite the Democratic Party and Democratic politicians and Democrats like me are saying that we do have an obligation I end my show every day with that you know get out there get active tag you're it nobody is suggesting that, except right-wingers, particularly on Uh, Right Wing Talk Radio, who constantly say, oh, the Democrat Party just wants a handout. You know, they just would just like to take all the tax dollars and put it in their pocket, you know, which is BS. We know that. History shows that. That's true. I'm certainly not saying that either. I'm
3: not saying that, like the Republicans' philosophy, that we just want handouts. No. I'm saying, like Bill Clinton put in the welfare-to-work program. We need to have stuff like that, where I'll be glad, and I I use my tax money, hey, I'll be glad to give you anything you want to, but I want you, in return, to be able to say, hey, look, thanks for this, thanks for helping me, I'm on my feet now. It
1: does not need to be transactional, Lawrence, you know, that. That Republican talking point that Bill Clinton picked up and the whole welfare to work thing, that was a punitive program. That was a way of means testing welfare programs and trying to use them to force people into the workplace. And why are people not going into the workplace? Because many of the jobs that are being offered pay so little that you can't have a decent life working at them and you end up in grinding poverty and a constant cycle of just barely getting by and constantly being in debt. Instead of having a nanny state government say, yes, I'll give you a little welfare, but you've got to fill out a form every single week and tell me how you're doing, which is the Republican idea that Bill Clinton adopted. Instead, what we should be doing is establishing a fair economic structure and requiring employers to pay a decent wage. You will not be able to stop people from going to work if they have good opportunities and the job pays well we got to be careful about these right-wing memes. They are so infectious and they sound so good until you just look at them carefully and realize that they're just BS. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs, and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple-glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com Hartman, with two ends. Or enter the code HARTMAN, the two Ns, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code HARTMAN or going to cookunity.com slash HARTMAN.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit SleepingDogsMovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's SleepingDogsMovie.com slash Wondery.
1: Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from... The Fight for the Four Freedoms, What Made FDR and the Greatest Generation Truly really Great by Professor Harvey J. Kaye, who is a professor of democracy and justice studies at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. This is from the introduction, page one. We need to remember. We need to remember what conservatives have never wanted us to remember and what liberals have all too often forgotten. Now after more than 30 years of subordinating the public good to corporate priorities and private greed of subjecting ourselves to widening inequality and intensifying insecurities, and of denying our democratic impulses and yearnings, we need to remember. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember that we are the children and grandchildren of the men and women who rescued the United States from the economic destruction of the Great Depression and defended it against fascism and imperialism in the Second World War. We need to remember that we are the children and grandchildren of the men and women who not only saved the nation from economic ruin and political oblivion, but also turned it into the strongest and most prosperous country on earth. And most of all, we need to remember that we are the children and grandchildren of the men and women who accomplished all that in the face of powerful, conservative, reactionary, and corporate opposition, and despite all their own faults and failings, by making America freer, more equal, and more democratic than ever before. Now, when all they fought for is under siege, and we too find ourselves confronting crises and forces that threaten the nation and all that it stands for, now we need to remember that we are the children and grandchildren of the most progressive generation in American history. We are the children of the men and women who articulated, fought for, and endowed us with the promise of the Four freedom. On the afternoon of January 6, 1941, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt went up to Capitol Hill to deliver his annual message to Congress. Just weeks earlier, he had defeated the Republican Wendell Wilkie at the polls and won re-election to an unprecedented third term. But Roosevelt now faced a far greater challenge, one even more daunting than those he confronted in his first and second terms. Still stalked by the Great Depression, the United States was also increasingly threatened by the Axis power, Nazi Germany, Fascist Italy, Imperial Japan. And with war already raging east and west, americans had yet to agree about how to respond to the danger the president however did not falter he not only proceeded to propose measures to address the emergency he gave dramatic new meaning to all men are created equal life liberty and the pursuit of happiness we the people of the united states a new birth of freedom and government of the people by the people and for the people fdr knew about crises But he knew as well what Americans could accomplish even in the darkest of times. Born in 1882, he had grown up privileged, the son of New York Hudson River gentry. Yet long before becoming president, he had suffered serious defeats and setbacks, none more devastating than contracting polio in 1921 at the age of 39. The disease left him permanently unable to stand up or walk without assistance. However, supported by his wife Eleanor and other family members and friends, He had risen above the paralysis to become the most dynamic political figure in the United States. Moreover, his experiences and encounters in the course of doing so had reaffirmed and deepened his already powerful faith and confidence in God, in himself, and in his fellow citizens, all of which had enabled him, in the face of the worst economic and social catastrophe in the nation's history, to defiantly state that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, and then go on to proclaim, this generation of americans has a rendezvous with destiny armed with this faith and confidence and propelled by the popular energies that his words and elections elicited he determinedly pursued the initiatives of relief recovery reconstruction and reform known as the new deal together president and people severely tested each other made mistakes and regrettable compromises and suffered defeats and disappointments nevertheless challenging each other to live up to their finest ideals Roosevelt and his fellow citizens advanced them further than either had expected or even imagined possible. Confronting fierce conservative reactionary and corporate opposition, they not only rejected authoritarianism, but also redeemed the nation's historic purpose and promise by initiating revolutionary changes in American government and public life and radically extending American freedom, equality, and democracy. They subjected big business to public account and regulation, empowered the federal government to address the needs of working people, mobilized and organized labor unions, fought for their rights, broadened and leveled the we and we the people, established a social security system, expanded the nation's public infrastructure, improved the environment, cultivated the arts, and refashioned popular culture, and while much remained to be done, imbued themselves with fresh democratic convictions, hopes, and aspirations any before the american people and their assembled representatives that early january day the president surely believed their rendezvous with destiny had come he told them straightforwardly that americans were now confronting a moment unprecedented in the history of the united states a moment unprecedented because never before had american security been as seriously threatened from without and he refused to appease those who threatened our nation's safety book is The Fight for the Four Freedoms by Harvey Kidd. Well, it's time for our National Progressive Town Hall meeting, and on the line with us today is Congressman Ro Khanna, who represents the 17th District of California. He's the Vice Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot and you can tweet him at Rep. Ro, R-O, Rep. Ro Khanna. And Congressman Khanna, Representative Khanna, welcome back. I'm, I'm curious, I have one thing I want to ask you about, but first. What's on your mind today? What do you want to draw our attention to?
4: What has been on Congress's mind is this uh, scandal again on Wall Street where you have Robin Hood stopping retail trading just when the retail investors sort of are getting the better of the hedge funds. And we could talk about what Robin Hood or the clearinghouses did wrong, but for me this is just a reminder of how utterly broken the financial system is where you have hedge funds basically shorting stocks been going on television, telling people to sell. None of this is productive activity. This is all money that could have been going into industrialization of our country. And I hope the scandal gives pause and has us uh, put capital requirements and short sales, have us have the uptick rule, which was a deterrence on this kind of short selling repealed In 2007 it was on the books from 38 to 2007 and really looking at regulatory reform to to prevent the over-financialization of our economy
1: i actually wrote an op-ed about this on medium.com that was titled something like gamestop and donald trump are the same thing what you have is a corrupt billionaire run insider only game that some outsiders as a result of a small technological and business innovation that is this new app where you could trade options at no fees and really with a real easy interface. Outsiders figured out how the game worked and came in from the outside and took down some billionaires. And of course, the, as you correctly point out, the system fought back. But Donald Trump did the same thing with the Republican Party, you know, basically ever since the end of the Eisenhower administration, the Republican Party has been this corrupt hollowed out organization that keeps trying to bring in new constituencies to get enough vote to get elected first it was nixon with his racist southern strategy and then it was right. reagan with his you know uh, homophobes and refusing to say the word aids and and you know george w bush and muslims and you know people who hate muslims and i mean that's all it is it's just this corrupt con game the gop just like the stock part of the options market they're both corrupt con games <laughs> run by billionaires for billionaires <laughs> I'll drop you a link yeah, to it in email. But the thing I wanted to ask you about, and then I'll just turn it over to you for the rest and let people call. Luke Broadwater is a reporter for the New York Times. He published on Twitter. A tweet, he says, here is the January 4th memo from former acting defense secretary requiring, quote, personal authorization, end quote, for DC National Guard to employ riot control agents and other tactics at the Jan 6 march for Trump. And he notes that the Capitol police at this point in time knew that there was a strong potential for violence. And I have I mean he reproduced the actual memo. And it's on Department of Defense letterhead, 1000 Defense Pentagon, a memorandum for the Secretary of the Army, and it's over the signature of Christopher C. Miller, the acting Defense Secretary. This memorandum responds to your January 4, 2021 memorandum regarding the District of Columbia request for DC National Guard, District of Columbia National Guard, DCNG support in response to planned demonstrations on January 6th. And then he says, You are authorized to approve the requested support without, as per an executive order, and then he says, without my subsequent personal authorization. The D.C. National Guard is not authorized the following. And then there are eight or nine bullet points. These are the things the D.C. National Guard may not do unless Christopher Miller intervenes and signs off on it. Number one, to be issued weapons, ammunition, bayonets, batons, or ballistic projection equipment such as helmets and body armor. Number two, to interact physically with protesters except when necessary in self-defense. Number three, to employ any riot control agents. That would be like tear gas and things. Number four, to share equipment with law enforcement agencies. In other words, you may not do any of these things. You may not use intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets or conduct ISR or incident awareness or assessment activities. You may not employ helicopters or any other air assets. You may not conduct searches, seizures, arrests, or other similar direct law enforcement activity, and you may not seek support from any non-DC National Guard units. And that was, you know, Larry Hogan um, from Maryland was begging, excuse me, was being begged by Steny Hoyer, can you please send the National Guard? He's like, I can't. The Secretary of Defense won't authorize it. This is the memo. And it's like, this seems like the ultimate smoking gun, that January 6th was a complete setup. They were planning on taking down the entire government of the United States and installing calling Trump as a dictator, and I realize how insane that sounds, and, you know, I tweeted this out, he's saying, why isn't this the biggest story in America? I don't get it, but anyhow, your thoughts, sir?
4: Well, I, you know, I'm going to look at that memo as soon as I'm off this town hall, and I'm on two of the relevant committees, the Armed Services Committee and the Oversight Committee, and we probably shouldn't have Miller in here explaining why he did it. I mean, he's probably going to say, I didn't want to have aggravation of violence on civilians, but the order and the memo that you read is way overbroad, and it seems basically a purposeful attempt to give the rioters free reign. I mean, you're basically calling yeah. off the National Guard from protecting the Capitol. So... I certainly think we have to get to the bottom of it. He needs to explain it, and it needs to be
1: investigated. I'll send you a PDF of no. this as well. That, that
4: investigation—we need to know exactly what he, what he said, why he said it, what the, what his plan was. I mean, if he thought he didn't want to have an escalation, what was his backup plan if things got to the point that they did? I mean, it seems they had no, you know, the most benign explanation is that they totally wanted to be on the side of the rioters and were so apprehensive of doing anything against the rioters that they prioritized the rioters over the safety of the Capitol.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And and do you think that that your colleagues are taking this seriously enough? I mean not this memo, but just this whole incident on January sixth.
4: I think the Democrats are. I mean I think that the Democrats are as if it was a attack on many members lives what is shocking to me is that there were republicans who were equally threatened in some cases more threatened i mean i would argue the vice president pence was the most at risk and yet it doesn't seem to have shaken that
1: yeah, it is concerning. Okay, I'm going to back out of this conversation and let our listeners in right after this break. It's our national town hall meeting, or we'll be in a second, with Congressman Ro Khanna, vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus representing California's 17th. Khanna.house.gov, Rep. Ro Khanna. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the place where smart people get their news. The Tom Hartman Program, back with your calls for Congressman Ro Khanna. You can find an absolutely fascinating library of my writings, including my daily rants, over at TomHartman.Medium.com. Jane in Vista, California, you're on the air with Representative Khanna.
0: Good morning, Tom and Congressman. My question has to do with the impeachment. The 45-plus GOP senators who refused to convict Donald J. Trump for high crimes and misdemeanors, can they then be implicated as accessories to sedition, inciting violence, and murder?
4: I think, James, anyone who is actively plotting in that insurrection has to face those consequences. So I think there's a difference, in my view, with voting against certification, which was terrible and people should pay the price of the ballot box versus going out and fist-pumping the crowd or giving maps to the crowd or giving tours to the crowd. And that has to be investigated. And I think we're going to find out some pretty awful things. And those folks have to be held accountable. You know, it's a scary situation. Cory Bush who's a colleague, a freshman colleague, a progressive great member of Congress, shared on Twitter that Marjorie Green. Accosted her, literally accosted her without a mask and started yelling at her with her staff yelling at her. I mean, it reminds me of the old times Whoa. in Congress where people used to cane each other and beat each other. I, I used to joke about that situation. I think, well, you'd never have Congress do that. And we're really entering scary times.
1: Yeah, it's like Matthew Lyon and Roger Griswold all over again. Isn't that, I mean, that's assault, is it not?
4: You know, you can make an argument, right? Because I think assault doesn't require you to actually hit someone, touch someone, if they fear. I mean, it, it is. You know, one thing which is, if Congress should have the same workplace rules as anywhere else. I mean, yeah. you couldn't do that, Tom, to someone at your radio station. I mean, it's absurd that we don't have some basic rules of workplace harassment.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. We'll be right back. Stick around. And welcome back. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls here on the Tom Hartman program, our National Progressive Town Hall meeting. And let's see here, Bill in Camp Wood, Texas, you are on the air with Congressman Khanna.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot. Congressman, this is a question more for a senator, but you might know the answer. Reconciliation, I think you can do twice. Is it possible that they could up the amount to say 20 or 30, and that way your two senators would be voting for something instead of against something?
4: Uh, bill, what do you mean by up the amount to 20 to 30? You mean how many bills we could do through reconciliation?
1: I'm sorry, Bill's gone. I'm not sure what it meant either. I think I'm he was sure referring to, to Rachel Maddow's signal. Go ahead.
4: What we're gonna do is uh, try to get this COVID relief bill through reconciliation, but I'm just is we could have three reconciliation moments before Mm -hmm. the midterm for people I've talked to and that what we need to do is try to get as much priorities of Biden's agenda through in those reconciliation bills.
1: It's not possible to throw all these things, Rachel's list was COVID, infrastructure, immigration, and democracy, throw it all into one giant omnibus budget bill and pass it by reconciliation? We
4: could. I mean, you know what that would take in part is reforming the Byrd rule, which, you know, people don't realize I mean, Robert Byrd's rule just since 1985 until then We didn't have that. And before that you could have a lot of amendments that didn't pertain directly to spending and tax. Byrd gets up there in eighty five and says, No, all we need to do is cut the deficit. So he took out anything extraneous to spending and to tax increases and that can be on a simple majority reform. And I what I would argue is you don't want to get rid of the filibuster, at least get rid of the or reform the bird rule. You know, call it whatever. Call it the mansion or for for whatever you want to do. Is that, the, and, is that, that a Senate rule
1: or agenda. a House rule or both? The Senate rule.
4: The Senate rule.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Again, I'm sorry. I keep jumping in here. I've had too much coffee. Kevin in Santa Fe, New Mexico, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Thank you for taking my call, Congressman Kana, and all that you're doing. I wanted to ask
4: about reframing in the discussion, and not to be pedantic, but the... Insurrection is being described as attributed to all these different disparate parties, but it was a Republican insurrection, and a Republican, the leader of the Republican Party whipped it up, and all of those people in the crowd were Republicans, so whether they be a laundry list of hate groups or not they were republicans and i hope that we can reframe that and i also wonder if you would speak to net neutrality you're absolutely right That there was a concerted effort starting with the leadership when it came to the the riots and what's most shocking to me is now you have kevin mccarthy going and kissing the brass ring with donald trump so It's not like there's been any moment of introspection or concern. There was a week of it where they said, well, he shouldn't have done anything. But what we see is that there is still an active base of the Republican Party that actually sympathized with the rioters. And I think it raises a much bigger concern of how we operate as a country where there's just a crisis of understanding truth, where 40% of this country actually doesn't believe in the legitimacy of the election. In terms of net neutrality, that's something that we're going to get done, I think, this year, uh, finally get it uh, passed in a uh, statute so you can't have a, a future FCC uh, chair reverse it.
1: Glennon, Kalama, Washington. You're on the air with Representative Connor. Congressman, is there anything new that
2: the committee has learned since the recent declassification of the Mueller
3: report? And does the Mueller report matter anymore? Thank you.
4: Well, my understanding is that there isn't anything new that we didn't already know in terms of the extensive Russian interference in our election, in terms of the extensive knowledge that the Trump campaign had with it. And Mueller may not have been able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt as a criminal matter uh, the collusion, but the evidence was enormous that the Russians were trying to help Trump. And i think what we should focus on is safeguarding in the, the rules and laws that can protect us from future donald trump's i mean I, obviously the justice system can take its course in terms of accountability but i think what congress needs to for, for, uh, figure out is there's a lot of things that we took as norms that donald trump violated and what can we do to make sure that some of these are codified into law so a future president can't abuse those loopholes
1: is that what hr1 does
4: well, HR one, comment and I think you would agree. That's it, it probably one of the most important things. I mean, it enshrines the voting rights act, so that people can have the right to vote. The very thing the civil rights movement was about. It has campaign finance reform, so that people can have matching funds for small dollar donations. It has gerrymandering reform. That is about structural reform of our
1: democracy. Okay. It's our progressive national town hall meeting here on the Tom Hartman program with your calls for Congressman Kana. We'll be back with more of your calls for him right after this break here. Stick around. You can find his website at Kana, K-H-A-N-N Hartman Program. And Congressman Kana is also very active on Twitter. You can tweet to him at Rep R-O-Connor. Welcome back to the Tom Harbin University Book Club. Today we're reading from Robert Wright's brilliant new book, Why Buddhism is True, the Science and Philosophy of Meditation and Enlightenment. This is from the first chapter, which is titled Taking the Red Pill. We're on page three. He's talking about the movie The Matrix. I saw The Matrix in 1999, right after it came out, and some months later I learned I had a kind of connection to it. The movie's director, the Wachowski siblings had given Keanu Reeves three books to read in preparation for playing Neo. One of them was a book I had written a few years earlier, The Moral Animal, Evolutionary Psychology and Everyday Life. I'm not sure what kind of link the directors saw between my book and The Matrix, but I know what kind of link I see. Evolutionary psychiatry can be described in various ways, and here's one way I had described it in my book. It is the study of how the human brain was designed by natural selection to mislead us and even enslave us. Don't get me wrong, natural selection has its virtues, and I'd rather be created by it than not be created at all, which, so far as I can tell, are the only two options this universe offers. Being a product of evolution is by no means entirely a story of enslavement and delusion. Our evolved brains empower us in many ways, and they often bless us with a basically accurate view of reality. Still, ultimately, natural selection cares about only one thing, or I should say cares in quotes about only one thing, since natural selection is... Just a blind process, not a conscious designer. And that one thing is getting genes into the next generation. Genetically-based traits that in the past contributed to genetic proliferation have flourished, while traits that haven't have fallen by the wayside. And the traits that have survived this test include mental traits, structures and algorithms that are built into the brain and shape our everyday experience. So if you ask the question, what kinds of perceptions and thoughts and feelings guide us through life every day, The answer, at the most basic level, is not the kinds of thoughts and feelings and perceptions that give us an accurate picture of reality. No, at the most basic level, the answer is the kinds of thoughts and feelings and perceptions that helped our ancestors get genes into the next generation. Whether those thoughts and feelings and perceptions give us a true view of reality is, strictly speaking, beside the point. As a result, they sometimes don't. Our brains are designed to, among other things, delude us not that there's anything wrong with that some of my happiest moments have come from delusion believing for example that the tooth fairy would pay me a visit after i lost a tooth but delusion can also produce bad moments and i don't just mean moments that in retrospect are obviously delusional like horrible nightmares i also mean moments that you might not think of as delusional such as lying awake at night with anxiety or feeling hopeless even depressed for days on end or feeling bursts of hatred toward people Bursts that may actually feel good for a moment, but slowly corrode your character. Or feeling bursts of hatred toward yourself. Or feeling greedy, feeling a compulsion to buy things, or eat things, or drink things, well beyond the point where your well-being is served. Though these feelings, anxiety, despair, hatred, greed, aren't delusional the way a nightmare is delusional, if you examine them closely, you'll see that they have elements of delusion. Elements you'd be better off without. And if you think you would be better off, imagine how the whole world would be. After all, feelings like despair and hatred and greed can foster wars and atrocities. So if what I'm saying is true, if these basic sources of human suffering and human cruelty are in large part the product of delusion, there is value in exposing this delusion to the light. Sounds logical, right? There's a problem that I started to appreciate shortly after I wrote my book on evolutionary psychology. The exact value of exposing a delusion to the light depends on what kind of light you're talking about. Sometimes understanding the ultimate source of your suffering doesn't by itself help very much. Let's take a simple but fundamental example, eating some junk food, feeling briefly satisfied, and then only minutes later feeling a kind of crash and maybe a hunger for more junk food. This is a good example to start with for two reasons. First, it illustrates how subtle our delusions can be. There's no point in the course of eating a six-pack of small powdered sugar donuts when you're believing that you're the messiah or that foreign agents are conspiring to assassinate you. That's true of many sources of delusions that I'll discuss in this book. They're more about illusion, about things not being quite what they seem, than about delusion in the more dramatic sense of the word. Still, by the end of the book, I'll have argued that all of these illusions do add up to a very large-scale warping of reality, a disorientation that is as significant and consequential It's out-and-out delusion. The second reason junk food is a good example to start is that it's fundamental to the Buddha's teachings. Okay, it can't be literally fundamental to the Buddha's teachings, because 2,500 years ago when the Buddha taught junk food as we know it didn't exist. What's fundamental to the Buddha's teachings, though, is the general dynamic of being powerfully drawn to sensory pleasure that winds up fleeting at best. One of the Buddha's main messages is that the pleasures we seek evaporate quickly and leave us thirsting for more. We spend our time looking for the next gratifying thing, the next powdered sugar donut, the next sexual encounter, the next status-enhancing promotion, the next online purchase. But the thrill always fades, and it always leaves us wanting more. The old Rolling Stone lyric, I can't get no satisfaction, is, according to Buddhism, the human condition. Indeed, the Buddha is famous for asserting that life is pervaded by suffering. Some scholars say that's an incomplete rendering of his message, and that the word translated as suffering, dukkha, could, for some purposes, be translated as unsatisfactory. The book is Why Buddhism is True: the Science and Philosophy of Meditation. Representative, or Congressman Ro Khanna, Representative Ro Khanna is uh, on the line with us today taking your calls from our National Progressive Town Hall meeting adam in new orleans louisiana you are on the air with rep Connor. uh good afternoon gentlemen um
2: addressing one of the principal causes of fascist ascendancy uh captive gop media has used psychological warfare tactics against the american people i'm talking about you know the the rampant gaslighting as an example uh it also includes uh artificial intelligence manipulation of people's values. What I'm hoping is that the the congressman will take up legislation making using psychological warfare tactics against the American people illegal. I'll take the answer offline, please. Thank you.
4: I think you raised an important point about manipulation and that these uh, forums, whether it's social media or television, can be highly manipulative I would actually argue that social media the most with artificial intelligence, where people are collecting your data and then targeting you with information designed to manipulate you. And I think there has to be regulation both against using people's data, and then there also has to be regulation against manipulation. And if that crosses the line to psychological manipulation, then that should be covered as well. But these platforms shouldn't be allowed to, to engage in blatant manipulation.
1: Jeff in San Francisco. You're on the air with Representative connor
0: Yeah, I just want to see if are we ever going to get Medicare for all or were they shooting for uh, 2035 when I'm already ready to retire. I mean, I speaking of gaslighting, I feel like we've been gaslighted quite a bit about this subject and why we can't put up for a vote in the floor. I mean, it you know, you can't we had some leverage back then then we lost it. What are we going to do about this? My wife and I have a small business. We spend about with our employees and us, we spend about four to five thousand dollars a month on health care. I mean, that's insane. And and then we then we my wife actually broke her finger at work. She went to the emergency room, and we get a bill for fifteen hundred dollars. Why in the hell do I have insurance? It's, it's it's I understand why people storm the Capitol. They're angry. This is ridiculous. We are a civilized society. We okay. don't have national health. Jeff,
1: let's let's get let's get the answer here.
4: Well, Jeff, I appreciate you talking about the costs of small business, a lot of people talk about the justice of healthcare care for all, which is absolutely true, that people are dying because they don't have health care, people going bankrupt. But the costs on small business is strangling so many of our entrepreneurs, it's strangling so much of our manufacturing base, it is terrible for the economy. Now, what we need is a vote in the House, and I've said that we will push for that vote uh, when they try the ACA fix, that we need to make sure that before giving more money to insurance companies, we have a vote on Medicare all and we go for Medicare expansion. But we, at the very least, need to start for passing in Biden's plan to so T1 and not Bernie and Warren, and Biden talks about expanding Medicare to 60. So at the very least, let's start by expansion of Medicare so that we take some steps to getting to the final
1: goal nick in chicago you're on the air with representative connor
3: hi thank you very much uh, first i wanted to mention real quick there's about this uh, christopher miller uh, potential issue there's a great article in vanity fair that was published on january 22nd by adam soralski that kind of describes the whole history of what happened right before then it sounds like maybe the restrictions on the national guard were designed to not interfere with the capitol police so anyway it might be worth reading
4: mm-hmm. but
3: my question is okay. This entire situation developed basically uh, as a result of two things from my perspective there's number one ubiquitous ignorance and you know just poor education that pretty much started since Reagan, uh, which makes all these people out there vulnerable to disinformation and then number two, we have this oligarchic control over the media you know how is this freedom of the press when you've got rich people abusing the press so
4: Well, I agree with you on digital literacy and media literacy. I mean, I think that you look at a country like Finland, which uh, from elementary school teaches young kids about uh, reading multiple sources and not just uh, believing what you see on television or social media and really understanding critical thinking for the truth. And it's no surprise that of all the countries in Europe, they're the most effective at weeding out false information and right-wing propaganda. So it absolutely starts from an education Focus in our country, and then it's. And you're right, the point on media consolidation and uh, having tech billionaires have the kind of power they do to have a tension economy and cable news propagating uh, what they're putting out there. Until we have more democratized access to media and more forums, it's a very dangerous situation.
1: Tom Hartman here. Did you know that Chief Justice John Roberts, back when he worked for Ronald Reagan, came up with a way that Congress and the White House could get around the Supreme Court? Specifically, they were trying to blow up uh, Roe v. Wade and Brown v. Board. But it could be used by Democrats right now. It's fascinating. It's in my new book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Check it out. Thanks so much. Deborah in Denver, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna.
0: Hi, Congressman Khanna, um, watching you on YouTube. I'm calling because I want to mention Tom Hartman's book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court, where Judge John Roberts mentions how Congress has the power to restrict the Supreme Court's jurisdiction. And I want to know what you think about this. They ought to remove the court's jurisdiction to pass a law for pandemic laws example, lockdowns. What if we get attacked by a bioweapon? We have to be able to force people to follow the rules. This can mean our survival. Do you think that we could pass the laws without the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court for a security issue like this?
4: Tom, do you know what passage of of your book she's
1: referring to in terms of... Yeah, it's it's one of the last chapters. I found this uh, 27-page memo that John Roberts wrote for Ronald Reagan when he worked in the Justice Department about how the Reagan administration could overturn Roe v. Wade and Brown v. Board legislatively without messing with the Supreme Court and without having to do a constitutional amendment. And he goes back to the Marbury decision and Jefferson's response to it and that whole thing and basically says court stripping is is legal. It's, uh, you know, Larry Kramer wrote a book about this, the people themselves. He's the dean of the Stanford Law School, that Congress under Article 3, Section 2 can, on, in any law that they pass, simply include a sentence that says the Supreme Court may not consider this law. They may not evaluate this law as to its constitutionality. Now, it's never been tested, <laughs> but there, there's a bunch of people pushing that. And John Roberts was one of them. He was pushing the Reagan administration to do that.
4: Yeah, well, it's an interesting theory. My, answer, my guess is he probably is obviously going to change it in a conservative court. You're, I think uh, so. But, but that's why we need to reform the court and have term limits and have this commission that Biden's put together really be
1: serious. Yeah. Mark in San Francisco, you're on the air.
4: Yeah, uh, I got uh,
2: two things on taxes. One, are you going to undo the uh, Trump tax cuts and also maybe
4: give uh, tax breaks to uh, oil and gas companies that want to convert over to green energy? Mark, I agree with both of you. First, we have to end all of these fossil fuel subsidies so that we give clean energy a fair playing field. And two, we do need to get rid of the Trump tax cuts that aren't for the working class. And we need to actually raise taxes on the billionaires and the wealthy who've made $1.1 trillion since the pandemic to actually help working class and middle class Americans.
1: In the 15 seconds we have left, things we should be looking for in the next week?
4: Well, I think we're going to finally get progress on this 1.9 trillion COVID relief. And there are a lot of people hurting. They can't pay rent. They're having trouble uh, putting food on the table. We've got to get this done. And I don't think we ought to be waiting for what Susan Collins thinks. I think we ought to pass what President Biden ran on and won on.
1: Amen. Congressman Connor, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great having you with us.
4: I always enjoy it. Great listeners.
1: Thank you, sir. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com
2: for audio and video archives.